0: It has become a tradition. Every summer ever since I turned nine, I would go to visit my dad and his girlfriend. They lived in a small bungalow house that was literally out in the middle of nowhere. We would eat my dad's famous gumbo, go fishing and then camping. I loved going to see my dad. Something about getting away from the city life and just enjoying the simple things like being a small farmer made things more bearable. I pull up to his driveway to see him and Sandy waiting for me. I jump out of the car and hug Sandy. When I went to hug my dad, he swung me around happily. Welcome home, baby girl. When my feet touched the ground, I was excited. Are we going to have my famous gumbo? Well, of course we are. I know it's your favorite and I always make it for you when you come see me. I clapped my hands together and my dad grabbed my luggage. Come on, honey. Let's eat. I'm sure you're hungry. I could hardly wait. I set up the table as my dad brought over a huge orange pot that he always made his gumbo in. Sandy brought over some dinner rolls and the aroma was heavenly. He poured me a large helping and I eagerly grabbed it. I took one bite and sighed. Tastes like summer. My dad laughed and I continued to chow down. My gumbo was not nearly as good, I said pulling the shrimp tail off. My dad chuckled, winking. It's because I got a secret ingredient. After dinner, we all cleaned up and played a few board games. Then I finally flopped onto my bed. I woke up when I heard rustling. I opened the door to investigate and I saw my dad leaving the house. I followed him and he went out to the barn where the horses were. I kept my distance as he moved a bunch of the hay bales revealing a trap door. He opened it up and left the hatch open as he took his lantern down. I could hear him cursing as I neared. The smell became rancid and I had to cover my nose. I peeked down and I could see three people chained up against the wall. Two young girls and a young boy. They were no older than 15. They were naked and had duct tape over their mouths. My father walked out of my line of sight before coming back with a machete in one hand. Sorry, I need to make more gumbo. He said as he approached one of the girls. The girl jerked violently, shaking her head, and I had to act fast, so I screamed out, Dad, no! He jerked up and stared at me with wide eyes. I wanna try him next, not her. I fostered animals in my spare time. I took care of the wounded, and once they were back on their feet, I would return them into the wild. I guess it was kind of a hobby for me. They told me that there was someone in need of help in my pond. A small human laying on the lily pad, no bigger than my thumb. I scooped her up and she didn't move or tried to swim away. She just laid there, lifelessly, in my hand. I took her home and made a small bed out of tissues and placed her in a shoebox. I left the lid open as I went to bed that night. When I woke up, she was still in the box. I would bring her bits of food, but she wouldn't touch it. This continued for almost three days. I worried that she would starve, so I started to tell her about the food and how it's made. She would turn and look at me sometimes, but she didn't eat. I kept trying until one night I made spaghetti. It was in the middle of talking when I tilted the plate too much. A meatball rolled off and stopped before her. She picked up the meatball covered in marinara sauce and took a bite out of it. Her first words to me were, yummy. She became livelier as the days passed and she would even sit there on my shoulder. I was worried that she would fall so I started buying shirts with pockets. She was with me everywhere I went. I bought her a dollhouse, doll sized clothing and even a small bed so she can sleep. She always cheered me up and before I knew it, my whole life revolved around her. One day when I was eating dinner, she finally told me why she was outside in the middle of the pond. She told me that she had a family, but they were murdered. She had escaped by swimming away and told me, there are others like me. They hunt and eat us. They're cannibals. That night I felt anxious and sat up in my bed and stared at the dollhouse. She was sleeping soundly in her bed. I got up and sat in the kitchen for god knows how long. I had to stop them somehow. Before I knew it, I had fallen asleep on the table. I jerked awake and headed back to my room. I opened the door and peeked into her room, only to see her missing. My heart stopped. I looked closer and there were specks of red all over. A small man about her size stood in the corner of her room, hunched over, and its face was completely distorted. He smiled, teeth sharp and crooked, mishappened red eyes locked with mine as he held out a gold nugget about the size of a dollar coin. Here's your half as promised.
1: I suffer from a disorder called pediophobia. For those who don't know, it's a persistent, irrational, and debilitating fear of dolls. It's not that unusual. Something that looks so human, but just isn't will mess with anyone's nervous system. Typically, we don't like eyes that look but can't see. Or open mouths that can never talk. Even writing about it now causes the small hairs to writhe all over my body. I guess everyone has felt this feeling at least once. What's less common is for me to still be having these fears at the age of 35. Many pedophobes, around 50%, lose all trace of aversion by age 18. By their early middle age, only a fraction are still afflicted. For me, time has only made the condition more acute. About six months back, I went to a friend's dinner party. I hadn't seen a lot of the people there for a long time, and the drinks were flowing, and it was one of those nights that just make life worth living, you know? At the end of the party, we moved into the living room. On my friend's coffee table, there was a resin figurine. I took one look at that object, and decades of frenzy flooded back. I smashed everything to pieces, I threw furniture against the walls, I smashed ornaments and mirrors, I cut my hand to ribbons, and it took three of my male friends to hold me down. I've told this story to my therapist during about a dozen sessions. She printed off pictures of the figurine that set me off, and I can just about look at it for 30 seconds without freaking out. One thing therapy has revealed is that my fear is more specific than I thought. It's not the bodies of the dolls that terrify me. It's their heads, their sightless eyes and voiceless mouths. My therapist put me under hypnosis. In trance state, I saw Daddy. He'd single fathered me and I was his only child. In trance, I see his charismatic smile. I see our big house deep in the woods. Inside the house I see Daddy's workshop, and inside the workshop I see the training heads. They're the kind hairdressers use. Daddy has painted their faces so they look like their eyes are closed or their mouths are stitched shut. On their foreheads, he's written names. Francine, Marianne, Teresa. When I came back to reality, I was very quiet. I was calm. I smiled more. I scheduled next month's session with my therapist, and I wished her a nice day. I never did tell her what I saw at the end of the trance. Inside our big house. Inside the workshop. There was a trap door. Under the door was a cellar. Whenever I was naughty, I was locked down there for hours. I still remember their heads, their real heads, hanging on daddy's meat hooks, Francine's and Marianne's and Teresa's.
0: Someone banged at my door. My boyfriend and I exchanged puzzled glances before he chirped up happily. "Pizza." He got off the couch as he grabbed the remote to pause the movie. He came back, but with a square box, not a pizza box. I stared at the box in his hand, what's that? He handed it to me, a package for you. I took it, There is no shipping label, just my name in black sharpie. Taking a knife, I cut the tape and opened it slowly. I removed most of the packing peanuts to find a scuffed up looking magic 8 ball. I picked it up and shook it and turned it over. The little thing flipped before it landed on the number 32. I was confused. I did it again and a third time, shaking it a couple more times, but the answer was always 32. I thought you were supposed to ask the 8 ball a question, then it answers like yes or no or something. Damien shrugged and dug into the box while I continued to shake the eight ball. Hey, look at this, he pulled out a note. The wonder eight ball goes around and around, so pass it quickly or you'll be out. If you're the one that holds it last, you are out. He scratches his head and handed me the messily written note. I took it as I passed him the eight ball. This is kind of creeping me out, I said, checking the note. He shook the eight bowl and examined it, just as I did before, and then the doorbell rang. Oh, that must be the pizza. He tossed the bowl back into the box, and I stared at it before placing the note on top and closing it. We resumed our movie, and once it was over, we went to bed, but I couldn't sleep that night. Something fell off. I tried to wake up Damien, but he was dead asleep. I don't know how long it was, but I eventually fell asleep. When I woke up, it was still dark. I got up to the bathroom where I went to brush my teeth. Only when I heard a thump in the apartment did I stop. I quietly walked over to Damien, refusing to look away from the door. I shook him lightly. Damien, but he didn't budge. I decided to grab the gun in our nightstand. I cocked it and readied myself. I walked slowly and gripped the door handle. I took a deep breath, swung it open, flipping the lights. I held the gun steady as I scanned the apartment. Once I was sure that no one was there, I lowered the gun and sighed. I turned back to look at Damien's sleepy body. Idiot, I could have died. I took a step forward and my feet made contact with the ball. My heart froze as I stared at it. I picked up the ball and turned it over and it was now showing 33. You know, it's really funny. In a maximum security prison filled with murderers and rapists, the worst thing that they can do is leave you completely alone. Solitary confinement. The human brain needs input or it quickly descends into a horrifying madness of its own company. In 2086, when the world government fell into dictatorship, capital punishment became very common. However, it was solitary confinement that people feared. That was reserved just for treason. I spent my working life making solitary confinement cells and carrying out the confinement. Here's how it works. The cells are molded to exactly fit the condemned. They are human-shaped coffins Arms out to the side at a 30 degree angle, legs at 45 degrees apart. For the insertion process, the traders are sedated. The eyes, the ears, the mouth are not damaged but are all sealed permanently shut. An automatic breathing tube is inserted into the throat. Three IV lines are inserted to feed nutrients. We use three lines cause of mechanical failure on one. Catheters are inserted to handle waste like a Denver sealed and buried in a very public trader graveyard with enough supplies to last 80 years, but to be considered dead from that day. Nasty, right? Well that's been my job for the last 20 years, and I'm pretty numb to the idea of it. One person a day entered the traitor's graveyard. This was so the person's story could be featured on the evening news, along with their frenzied begging for a pardon. It hasn't caused me distress in many years. That was until last week when I was convicted of treason. I can't really argue, I'm guilty, but after seeing the things I've seen, it is surprising I turned to murder. The regime needs to be brought down. This barbaric practice of solitary confinement needs to end now, but it will take a better man than me to achieve that. Today, I woke up from my sedation, my eyes and mouth sealed shut, deafening silence and dazzling blackness greeted my panicked brain. Fight or flight response kicked in and I chose between zero options. I couldn't move an inch, even my fingers were molded in place. I just kept thinking about all the people I put down here, all the things I wish I'd done differently. I couldn't have been down here for more than a week and I would have chose death if I could. I would give anything to take back those treasons I committed, the 7,000 people I killed. I only did that to save others from untold suffering. I did it when they were sedated, a syringe of air into their veins to cause cardiac arrest. One murder each day for 20 years. It's just me alive down here, living life of a traitor.